Well, it's been a while since I've done anything as far as uh, the the YouTube portion of of you know this this whole thing I'm doing, getting your life back. Um, if you guys don't, you can know you can follow me on Facebook under my name, Cade Cooper. I uh, I like to write, you know, and this whole thing started with with me writing, you know, my reality and stuff years ago. So I've I've certainly done some of that, but. You know, this last little while has been hard, and for me, it's 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 one thing to be vulnerable about stuff that I um have overcome, right? Um, even if it was my fault to begin with, you know, it's it's another thing to be vulnerable about present stuff, and and part of that is by design. Uh, you know, I've talked at length about trauma bonding and how leading with your pain and trying to entrust your pain with people that uh you know quite frankly are in, in a place to be able to deal with it uh, you know doesn't always go well but the last few weeks have been hard you know and um the thought of trying to produce content that's uplifting and you know it, it, it's kind of funny i i so i've met people that have not met me until uh, they've just seen Cade from these uh, episodes and then they meet me in person and they're thrown off. Um, you know, if you want to get an idea of my personality more so just from my videos, you can look at uh, the, the podcast I did with Project Recovery with KSL, Casey Scott. If you Google that Project Recovery, I'm on there. You know, I found it a lot easier to uh, just kind of be myself, but, um, you know, when I'm talking about these things, a lot of them thus far are, are fairly heavy, right? And so that's kind of how I am. But, you know, it certainly, um, it shifted my reality to an extent doing this thing, which is which is fine. Mm, I digress, but my point is, you know, I, I, I want to show more of my personality and more of what I enjoy in life, but it's been really hard the, these past few weeks. Well, you know, one thing I want to talk about in the title of this episode is uh, toxic perfectionism and selfless self-care. You know, I shared this story in my story and I shared it again on that podcast, but to kind of give you the roots of, of my toxic perfectionism and also kind of what, uh, you know, created an, an addict in me was, you know, when I was a young guy, my brothers had a uh, vibrator, not a vibrator, a massage gun that my dad had used for his back. And, you know, I think I was seven at the time and they said, put it on your groin. And I ended up having an orgasm. And, you know, at the time I didn't have any sexual thoughts or anything. Well, that, you know, too much stimulation at an early age um, changed the, the, you know, the neurons in my brain and, and took what was a, project, uh, a uh, genetic predisposition for addiction and, and created one. Well, the other thing it did was I knew what I was doing was bad. I didn't know why it was bad, um, you know, but I knew, and partly from the instruction of my brothers, that I, I shouldn't let my parents um, know and so, you know, when you're a guy my age and you're, you're forming your identity, um, well, hopefully it minds you're not, and you're dealing with stuff that you feel is bad, it's one thing. But when you're seven years old and you're doing something that you feel like is, is not good, it creates this shame, right? It creates this, this feeling of this, this conflict at a, at a very young age and not even quite understanding the conflict of, of 
everything right. So, you know, if you've been raised in a hyper-religious household, and I don't mean that in a bad way, right, or even a strict household or whatever, you know, the, the bars typically set pretty high. Well, if you're raised here in Utah with the cultural expectations, it's set really high. And, um, you know, I always had a hard time with trying to understand, you know, what God expected of me and then where I was good, right? I think, uh, you know, and a lot of what I talk about, my framework is God and religion because it's kind of the basis for how I interpret everything and, and, you know, how I react, right? But regardless if you believe in God or not, like I said early on, this is, it's not my aim to get you to believe in something you don't want to believe in, but I think some of these principles um, will be applicable regardless. But, you know, there's a scripture in uh, the Book of Mormon that says, for we know we are saved by grace after all we can do. We differ a little bit from mainstream Christianity and the fact that we, uh, you know, certainly believe that Christ's grace, his suffering and everything saves us. There's a misconception we think our works can save us or we can save ourselves. That's not it at all. But we believe, like Christ taught in the New Testament, you know, you need to follow him, right? There's a reason he set an example there. Well, well, this scripture in the Book of Mormon says we're saved by grace after all we can do. Well, I think that's a major hang-up for a lot of people, just general in life. And then specifically, if you have this type of belief frame as, as far as divine aid or help from God, right? At what point do I do everything I can? I know some pretty incredible people that live uh, incredible lives, but you know what? They can never enjoy it because they're constantly saying, I could be doing more. I could be doing more, right? Like, and in a way, it's almost saying in order to qualify for God's grace or favor or, favor or forgiveness, I have, to, uh, I have to be doing everything. Well, you know, within the tenets of Christianity and my faith, there's only one perfect man who ever lived, right? Jesus Christ. And, you know, he just so happens to be the one that bridges that gap when we, we do what we can, right? He, he kind of makes up the gap there for us. Yeah, as I've talked about this, I've talked about, you know, my understanding of that and my, my progression of it, you know, and the old me, when something went wrong, um, you know, I would usually turn to God after my life became quite unmanageable because the seeds of um, my faith were planted early and at some point I didn't know where else to go, right? And uh, part of this toxic perfectionism, this thinking I have to be perfect, it parlays into what's called all-or-nothing thinking. And all-or-nothing thinking is, is synonymous with about every addict I know, but we go all-in. And when things don't work out, we give up completely, right? So for me to, you know, incur God's favor, that meant, you know, in my religion, I had to do everything. And that, a lot of these points, I up to that point, wasn't doing much of anything. So, man, I've got to read this amount of time, pray this many times, go to the temple, do all these things. And, you know, I set myself up for failure every time because it was not sustainable, right? And then the moment I started to slack on a couple things, I was like, dude, this is too hard. This is miserable. I don't want to do this. And the pattern would repeat itself. And eventually I'd fall and then I'd plead to God for help again. Well, you know, to overcome that and to overcome my, my fear of my standing with God, 
was just, you know, in large part, just, just learning him, getting close to him and understanding he, he views me and he doesn't just view me, I am his son. And, you know, he wants what's, what's best for me. And through my process, I've come to be able to relinquish that fear that, you know, I'm not going to make it to heaven or I'm not good in God's eyes. I, I, I live very close to him. And, you know, I have to, or I get to, or both as an addict. And I talk about that because, uh, you know, submitting my will to God is paramount to my continued recovery there. But, you know, I, I realized that there was one aspect where I have an immense amount of fear and anxiety. And it's not over things I can't control, right? When it comes to prices going up or inflation or government or all these things they don't they don't really affect me much and again my faith is my cornerstone right it's my foundation well i think we're come down here to be tempted and if if something unpleasant happens to me that i didn't cause that's just part of my mortal experience and, and you know serenity prayer is the is uh, the staple of every recovery meeting at the end god grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, that's been an incredibly powerful prayer for me. In a culture, in a nation, in a world that is unhinged by all the things that are going on, I have peace. I don't really worry about it because I understand no one can affect me or nothing can affect me in so much that it's not supposed to if I'm just trying to do my best, right? And it doesn't mean I'm, I'm doing everything right, you know? I can certainly bring on additional consequences and, and different things if I do boneheaded things, but for a large part, I've removed a lot of that from, uh, you know, what I do. You know, if I'm talking religion, I think for me now, it's, it's it's not as much sense of commission or blatant acts of things I do that I feel like God doesn't want me to do, but it's more sense of omission or, you know, not giving certain things or not, not submitting this way. Well, I realize, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, my temporal status, uh, there there's a lot of anxiety there. Uh, you know, with, with different things. So, you know, being raised, and I've, I've talked a lot about trauma, right? And the earlier the trauma, the, the, the certain, you know, stage it will affect the brain. And, you know, as we have all these triggers and mental illness and addictions and stuff, you know, in large part, it's just a coping mechanism for that trauma, right? Uh, our brain goes into these destructive behaviors because it thinks it's, uh, you know, saving us from what it looks like is our additional trauma. So, you know, when, when I grew up, I, I talked about this, but my parents, they, uh, they inherited a cafe from my grandparents called Cafe Eileen, and it was in Fillmore, and it was, it was a wonderful business. And um, when, when my grandpa passed, my dad took it over. Well, around that time, Fillmore, uh, the freeway used to run through Fillmore. It's a small little town of like, you know, at this point, 2,000 people. Well, there was a large uh, contingent of traffic that would run through. Well, when I-15 started, they didn't run all the way through. And there was another competing restaurant that was closer to the exit. So, you know, eventually I saw my dad, who was raised in, you know, pretty comfortable settings, start to struggle financially. 
and uh, my parents weren't ready for it. And, you know, they didn't do anything wrong at all, but I, I, I remember calls to the IRS, and I remember stresses of, of what are we going to do. And my dad, you know, he didn't want to show us anything, and so he just bottled everything up just bottled it up and would go and try to act like things were fine. And, you know, that, that created a lot of stress, which later created disease, which I believe ultimately took his life because he was trying to protect his family, you know, and it left my mom to kind of deal with stuff. And I have the same, some habits with my dad, but she was kind of left to do the X's and O's of finances. I was the same in my marriage as, as my dad. I didn't know this, but like, I just did not want to know where we were at. We had money, but I, I catastrophized this fear right and and my dad did the same thing so you know anyway i you know a few weeks ago i i've i've had a situation that's it's been a interesting part of my life for a few years you know and i i've i've shifted in in how i view it and what i want out of it and uh um i believe it's been good um it, it, well i don't believe it has the fruits of it have been good but at times it's caused me a lot of pain different things well you know, about two years in, I, I, I feel like maybe I'm going to get some uh, some closure, you know, in some way or form or, or whatever. So, you know, anyway, the situation happened and, um, you know, there, 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 there are some things that just, you know, it didn't go the way I expected. And I was I was let down. Right. And it was it was tough. And, you know. The next day, so I had all the weekend to think about it, and you know, I started to process it and feel better. So I'll talk more about addiction. Um, I keep saying I'm going to do a series on addiction, and I will. That's probably, you know, as far as psychology goes, you know, what I'm what I'm the best at. Um, but for me, the only way I know to, to put it in remission and to not have those addictive urges is, is the 12 steps. And the hallmark of the 12 steps is a belief in a higher power. Um, you know, and it, we don't push on someone a certain belief. You know, I've worked with people who believe their higher power is, you know, their tattoo. Well, the God I believe in speaks to men according to their language. And, you know, at some point I believe that his true self, he'll reveal himself to anyone that honestly wants to know and will, you know, put aside whatever in order to know him. But I believe, and I've seen him help people, you know, although I don't believe God was their tattoo, I still, it's been beautiful to see that framework because, you know, we tried to get him to establish that belief, right? Well, if God's real, that certainly helps life because, you know, that's in large part why I'm not stressed and moved about all these things, all these, you know, things that happen within the world because God's real and he showed me he's real. And, you know, he's, he's come in and he's answered my prayers a thousand times. And, you know, eventually you don't believe in coincidence anymore. Well, is, you know, as far as this situation and, it's, and my point here is it, part of what got me clean and the way I live my life and the way I believe we're meant to live is, is submitting our will to God. And submission's not a very popular word nowadays, right? And there's a belief submission is not empowering. Well, when it comes to God, it's incredibly empowering. You know, I ask for a knowledge of God's will and the strength to follow it, right? Um, and, you know, for a long time, I woke up every morning and said, God, help me to know where to go, who to talk to, and what to say. And it was, it was beautiful. 
And God doesn't answer every question of where I should go every second. You know, He likes me to make my own decisions. But a while back, you know, things with the situation weren't going the way I, I wanted to. And I got promptings at different times to leave it alone. And I didn't want to. And so I stopped saying that prayer. So I processed all this information, you know. And then Monday, I get, I get ready and I start driving where I want to go. And uh, man, I feel it. Don't go. I wanted to go, right? And so I do this great thing with God where I get a clear-cut answer. And when He answers me that way, I know. But I'm like, well, maybe I didn't understand that right. I ask again. Yeah, let's see how I feel, you know. I ask again. Well, I pull off the exit and think I'm not going to go down there. And at some point, I just am like, okay. I think maybe it'll be okay with him. Well, I knew it really wouldn't be, but, you know, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so I went back and, you know, engaged the situation. There's nothing bad or sinful about any of it, but it just did not go the way I wanted it to go. And I'll tell you what, like the dam broke. The dam broke. When I was coming off Xanax, I talk about it in my story. Uh, benzodiazepines, they, uh, it's, it's kind of like liquid alcohol, right? And there's only two drugs that can kill you from withdrawing, okay? And that's alcohol and benzos, which is Klonopin, Xanax, Ativan, that family. Um, when I was coming off that, I was coming off such large amounts, and, you know, my life was spared through a, a priesthood blessing, and I could feel it throughout my body. Otherwise, I was on an amount that I, I cold turkeyed with, without knowing better, right? But my fear was so terrible at that point, about the second or third day into withdrawals. I, I basically kind of made this agreement with God. God, the only way I'll agree to stay on this earth is if you put me in a padded room and you lock all the doors. And the owner, only interaction I can have with anyone is if someone just opens the, the door or a little window and puts my food in and then shuts it. That's how terrifying that was. Any interaction would just undo me. Well, if, if you want to know about that story, you can look at episodes two through four, I think two and three specifically. I talk about that experience and how it saved me. But I haven't felt that in quite a while. I felt it, you know, not as much, certainly, you know, the years coming up. But I think since I got clean, you know, which is, I think it's around 40 months now, I haven't really felt despair. Despair is, is that feeling that things are unraveling. Right, that that uh, you you have all these things and you're not capable of, of doing any of them, and you know, I, I had I had went through a very painful situation, and then I had knowingly done something that I knew that God had said, "Hey, you probably shouldn't do this," and it was like all my responsibilities and all my fears all of a sudden, it seemed like I couldn't do it. There was just, you know, no way I could get it done. You know, this channel, this podcast, for example, it's, uh, it's always interesting. People are like, how's the podcast going? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know how to answer that question because I, I don't really have an expectation for what I want out of it. I, I just, I, I've never felt from God I can talk about in public all the things that went into me doing this. Some of them were incredible. And I have no doubt it's what God wants me to do. 
and I've had certain premonitions and promises and different things that have come, right? But when someone says, how is this going? Well, it depends on what, what process I am. If you ask me that right after I've got a message from someone that it's been very impactful, I'll tell you, it's wonderful. If you ask me right after my stance on something has offended someone, particularly someone I care about and the relationship's been severed, I'll probably be understanding, but I'll probably be sad. If you ask me when I deal with the constant onslaught from Satan to keep me from doing what I'm doing, I'll tell you it probably feels like being in a fist fight with Satan. And it's worth it, right? But in order to get up here, like I talked about in the beginning, and put this stuff out there, it was not easy when you're literally scared of everything that's going on in your life, right? On top of that, and this is not to say my life is any harder than anyone else's. I am I am very busy, but pain is relative. You can't compare it. And I'm certainly not trying to paint myself as a victim here just to give you an accurate picture of, of my reality the last little bit. But it, it is my reality, you know, and I am a single dad, and um, that requires quite a bit of work, right? I run a, a small business, and, you know, that one in particular is probably the main stress, that, you know, that I have there. So, you know, for me, at this point, it felt like God disappeared for a while. Now, the difference between now and back then is I know He wasn't really gone, okay? And I've gotten to the point where I don't curse God, right? Or I don't get frustrated with Him when things happen. I don't believe God punishes us. I think He loves us enough to let, let us experience consequences. And some are wonderful experiences and some aren't too fun. Well, when we experience consequences for things that aren't good for us, we probably, hopefully, don't want to don't want to do them anymore. But I, I, I think He just allows us to experience consequences, and I was feeling the consequences of this, you know. So I, I'm thinking about all these things, and and just just getting absolutely overwhelmed, and uh, you know, it, it was terrifying to me, and. Uh, I had witnesses things were okay, small ones. But in large part, I felt like the heavens were shut. Well, one beautiful thing is, you know, I'm not running to pain, running to, you know, the most pleasurable thing, the quickest when I'm in pain like I used to. You know, pornography is, is incredibly addicting because it's incredibly accessible. And the moment someone turns that on and looks at it, you're fully engaged and the world disappears. So it offers an instant reprieve to pain. You know, drugs do the same thing. Some work a lot quicker like Xanax, some take a, a lot longer, right? And so, you know, being clean from drugs and alcohol, eventually from pornography, eventually from doing things, you know, with women that I don't feel like God wants me to do, you know, when I'm, when I'm, my will submitted to God, I don't really need all these coping mechanisms for pain. Um, I don't need to stop the pain because I'm not in a ton of pain. I still go through hard things, but I have my peace with the, with, with everything. When I, when I take that will, then things become a lot harder, right? And in the past two months, you know, I, I was on like a thousand milligrams of, uh, of, uh, caffeine a day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The kids are, are constantly 
bribing me, right? And, and you, you, you get up to that, it's not helping you. It's not even giving you energy. You're just crashing. And I was as addicted to the mechanism of drinking it as I was anything else. So I, I tapered off that. And I'm down to an energy drink, you know, in the morning, probably around 200 milligrams. I think the recommended daily is around 300. So I, I, I feel a lot better there, but it forced me to feel more because it was numbing my pain to an extent. But it, because it was addictive, it was creating more pain in the long run. Uh, you know, the last little while, I, I, you know, I'm stressed about, you know, finances. And it's it's not that I'm not good financially. It's just that there's a fear there. And I'll get into that of I'm not doing everything I should to stay afloat there. And I have to do a certain amount to qualify for God's grace when it comes to these these temporal matters. So, you know, there's there's a worry with that as well. Well, you know, to cope with that the last few months, if you ask the people that know me, you can ask them how many Jordans I bought. Well, <laughs> I was coping through spending money and it was addictive, you know, because in the moment I would buy something, it would feel really good. But it was completely counterproductive because what I was numbing was the stress of finances because I, I was not fully submitting to God, right? I wasn't having him, you know, guide my affairs. And, and consequently, I just didn't feel that empowerment that, hey, I, I have you quite as much, right? So I, I cut down and I stopped that. Well, you know, as I stopped that, I've been feeling a lot more. And it's an interesting time to feel a lot more when you're single and it's going through the holidays. And, you know, my brain, you know, when, when, when I feel pain, my brain says you shouldn't be feeling this way. There has to be something you're doing, okay? Well, if you're not using drugs anymore, then, um, it, you know, it, it has to be you're not doing enough. And we go back into this toxic perfectionism, right? I have to be doing a certain amount of things in order for God to protect me when it comes to my temporal things, right? My, my job, my livelihood, um, uh, providing for those I love. And uh, so I'm, I'm thinking about this. What, what do I need to do, right? Because it, it's at a very tough time. Well, I think, I don't think, it, it seems to be a pattern in everyone's life I've known that, that, that turns to him, uh, that you go through periods where he doesn't feel there. And, uh, you know, I'll paraphrase uh, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters. Um, it's, it's a great book about uh, this, uh, this devil, and he's kind of a chief devil, and he's training his, his subordinate how to be a devil. And, you know, he's talking about humankind, and he's referring to them as creatures. But, uh, you know, this is not verbatim, but it's paraphrased. But he says, never is our cause in more danger than when a creature looks out upon a world and a God that he feels has absolutely forsaken him and asks, why have you forsaken me and still obeys? That's when the change happens. That's when most people falter. When we feel in love with someone, we say, I'm going to marry you and love you forever. Well, we're feeling the butterflies there. If, we, if we're excited about God, maybe we're getting baptized, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live righteously forever. Well, what do we do when we feel nothing and we fear that nothing's coming? 
Will we keep our promises? That's what really matters. You know, and I, I, I did. I stayed consistent in the things that I've done. Um, but it, I, felt, I felt forsaken there, right? And, you know, as part of that, you know, for me, this is where most of my anxiety lies in my life, and it's in procrastination. And, you know, when we have a bunch of little things that we're not taking care of, they start to compound. And you have a situation like me, and the dam kind of breaks, and then all these things get overwhelming. Well, you know, when it comes to pain, I try to, you know, as my therapist would say, rub a little Jesus on it, or God, I need to do more and more. Well, I think we can use God and spirituality in a negative degree to try and, you know, save us from pain by just trying to push ourselves to unhealthy measures when pain's part of the equation. I'm asking God a while back, help me to get organized, help me to just get these things done, help me to make so my, my truck and my house doesn't feel like World War III hit. Well, he did, he did through pain, right? But, you know, I've got these things that stress me, you know, I've, I've got this thing and, you know, I've taken three, three and a half weeks off of it. And, of course, my thoughts are, well, you know, I've got a little momentum and, you know, I'm trying to help people. Well, what if I take stuff off, right? And, you know, maybe I'll lose relevancy. And, you know, my last episode, Comparison is the Thief of Joy, talks about basing my worth based upon the reception. <laughs> I don't think it's a... It's kind of a funny irony. I, thought, I actually don't think there's anything ironic. I think that it was meant to be that that was my least viewed episode as far as my personal content that I've had. I happen to think it's actually one of my best as well, right? So there was all that stress, and I certainly didn't feel like I could do it. And I'm trying to come up with these things and trying to shoot this, and I'm like, I don't have it in me, you know? And um, I've, I've just got these five or six things that I that stress me, right? Well... Like I said, my confidence is strong with God. It waxes strong in the presence of God. If, if He was to take me at this time, I have no fears over how I would be, which is a wonderful feeling, right? But when it comes to temporal matters, I, I start to wonder where that balance is, right? Because obviously, a loving God is going to allow me to experience consequences. Well, I've got a little issue with the IRS. I don't know who doesn't, has a small business, and it's not even a big issue, right? But because of trauma with, with IRS, with my parents, because I catastrophize things, what if I talk to them and they say this? I won't be able to handle that. And my brain goes to worst case scenarios. And so in order to not deal with those worst case scenarios, I just don't deal with the problem. And you know, it floats up every once in a while and I push it away by distracting myself or something else. Well, I've got that stress. You know, I've got scheduling for my business. You know, December's just not a good month to do what I do. I have regular customers, so I kind of put them off for a little bit and, you know, just make it up in January. Well, I was exhausted. I, I didn't have it in me to do the scheduling part. And, you know, I, I'm a relations guy. <laughs> I'm getting better at an organizational guy and, and all that stuff, but I just, I don't enjoy it. And also consequently, you know, and December, me going on a trip with my kids and Christmas and everything, my finances just looked a little lower than they normally were. And it wasn't anything to really be concerned about, but it freaked me out. 
And so, you know, I've, I, I've got that. I've got my house. I've, I've got these different things, and they're stressing me to death. And I'm going through this very painful experience. And it was hard. <laughs> and I'm promising God I'm going to stay... I'm going to stay... Uh, I'm going to stay diligent. You know, I talked with my therapist about it. I'm like, it just feels harder in ways than it's ever been. And uh, with my life, God has given me some promises and assurances of my future. And it's relieved a lot of stress and it's given me instruction and, and you know, helps me to stay patient with certain things and in the way I should go. But, you know, I'm like, I feel like I'm at the precipice to the next stage. And uh, and he asked me, you know, how long was Christ in the wilderness? And I said, 40 days. He said, what happened after 40 days? Well, Satan came and tempted him. He's like, it would be sad after everything you've been through if you relented. If you relented, right? And so there's there's a talk I love by an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, Elder Holland. It's called The Inconvenient Messiah. And it talks about the temptations that Satan used with Christ. You know, Christ had hungered for 40 days. The first one is, hey, take these stones and make them bread. Well, he's hungry. And uh, he's appealing to the flesh. You know, he's taken a natural appetite and, and trying to get him to, one, abuse his power, but two, to, to satisfy it when it's not meant to be satisfied yet. And he talks a lot about sexual things, you know, and I'm not here to lecture on uh, sexual morality. My stances are, are clear, but there's no judgment for anyone who lives another way. I'm still amazed when I tell people my beliefs, you know, they feel judged. Well. There's no judgment. I think people forget how I've lived, and I can differentiate actions from the person, you know, but I, I believe very strongly in what I believe. You know, my beliefs as far as that goes are in my episode, The Myth of Friends with Benefits. But that's the first thing were temptations of the flesh, which I was certainly feeling, right? I wasn't giving in, but they were, they were filling, and, you know, maybe I was just... Touching the stove, you know what I mean? And, you know, I've talked about, I think the quickest thing that would lead me back to pornography, and it's been a long time, is, is you know, these the scrolling through certain reels of TikTok. Is, uh, it, maybe someone can teach me how to clean, clean my feet up, but it just has women dressed in ways that are triggering, and they, they don't help my brain. But there's always this thought of, hey, I can just... I'll, I'll go back there for just a second, then I'll hurry and shut it off. Well, that's, that's you know, not good for me. So I could, I could see how he was he was hitting me. Well, the second one, the way that Elder Holland talks is, is different than the way I interpret it. You know, I thought it was tempting God, right? Takes him up to the top of a temple, says, jump off, for it's written, the angels will have charge concerning thee. Hey, Christ, see if the angels will save you. Well, in essence, the Savior's just about ready to... Uh, you know, start his ministry, so now it's a temptation of the Spirit. How much easier will your ministry be if you know God has you? If you cheat death, if you jump down, then it won't be that hard. Then you'll know. Then when all these things happen, you'll look back and be like, I already jumped from the temple and angels saved me. 
There's a temptation of the Spirit to get divine assurance when it wasn't merited. I've certainly tried to get that in my life at different times, and God's like, I'm not going to tell you yet. And it's been a major struggle because my need to know can be a major problem. And a lot of faith comes from not knowing. You know, I wrote a little piece back about Moses. Well, you know, my, my belief with Moses and the way I like to think of it is, you know, it, Moses is running from the Egyptians, okay? And uh, he, he hits the Red Sea. And here's two certain deaths, right? Mass genocide or a watery grave. Well, drowning's probably better than what the Egyptians had in store. So I picture him starting to walk under the water. And as it's coming up saying, save me, God, save me, God, save me, God. And at the last second, Moses part of the sea. And, um, you know, he parts the sea. Well, I, I like to think that that's... That's the way that God works and, and the way God, God answers things is, you know, when we're at that last second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what to do. Well, if Moses would have had a spiritual assurance before that, right, and wouldn't have taken that leap of faith, I don't think he would have had that experience and it wouldn't have given him the faith to sustain himself and the Israelites when they later were 40 years in the wilderness. There's power in not knowing. And my need to having to have direction uh, divinely on everything or an assurance is contrary to what my father wants for me. Well, the third one was, you know, I'm going to take you up to the top of the temple and offer you everything in the world. Name your price, right? And, uh, and so I, I started to think, you know, how how Satan hits me, right? How he, how he affects me. And... Uh, I'm understanding these things, and you know, I, I called my sponsor. Um, he's he's in one of my episodes, Mark Minor. You want to hear an incredible story? Listen to his from prison to peace. But um, I'm I, you know, with my brain again, I'm in a lot of pain. I've got to get this channel pumping again because I have these deadlines that only I've <laughs> put for myself, right? And I don't even know what the deadlines are. I've, I've, God is not going to be able to help me unless I tackle all these things. I've got to call the IRS. I've got to do these things. Well, for years, my brain has always been like this. And when you have five or six things that are fairly big deals, big deals are just nagging things and you don't do them and you don't know how to prioritize and to do them at a certain time, it's just overwhelming. And I am incredibly busy with everything I do. And I get home and I look at my house or I look at my truck or I, I get a little reminder I got to call them or man, I've got to schedule these people or I've got to invoice this customer or whatever. I'm like, I never have the energy. And you know, sometimes when I'm home, I'm just paralyzed. Well, you know, I, I, I talk about self-care and I'll talk more about it in a minute, but uh, there's a fine line between self-care and distraction. That's my favorite drug now, is distraction. Anything that distracts me. You know, when I got divorced for a long time, I would go to every party imaginable because it was a distraction. And while it was still very healing for me in ways and the connection was very good, I couldn't be alone. Uh, one, because I wasn't living with my moral beliefs. And then two, I was absolutely unorganized but because I had so many things on my plate and I just couldn't do them and didn't know how to start on them. 
I would just go and distract myself. Well, these things tend to compound. You don't pay your taxes, they compound. You uh, slack in your business, you lose customers. All these things start to compound. And you know, none of this is even compounded to an unmanageable level, but when I lose God's uh, spirit, when I lose the Holy Ghost, it turns situations that look great, situations that look manageable to completely unmanageable. That peace, that peace which the Savior brings, the peace that surpasseth all understanding, is the most important thing in my life. And you know, when I have it, when my will submitted to His, I have that peace and nothing affects me. So I'm thinking of all these things and I'm talking to my sponsor, I'm talking to Mark, and uh, he says, Brother, I don't think you're not doing enough. I think you're doing too much. I'm like, but I have all these things I have to do, and I have all these things, and you know, he's like, relax with the podcast for just just a week, you know, or for a little bit, and ask God what's the next right thing, just the next right thing. You know, and so this last week, you know, for you guys that are organized, that do lists, that do everything, you're going to be like, duh. <laughs> for you guys that are like me, that even the thought of creating a list when it comes to these things that you've put off forever can create enough anxiety to make you feel paralyzed, you'll understand. But I started to create this list, and it was only six things. <laughs> and none of them require a lot of time or effort. Well, cleaning did, but now my house and car is beautiful, and you know I've put things in place just to keep it that way. Um, and partly, what's going to help is I'm not going to get so overwhelmed because I I want to keep you know. I want to keep uh, you know vigilant in my responsibilities and handle them when they handle them. So, but I create this list. God, what's the first thing you want me to do? What's the next right thing? And it's really been transformative for me. And, and not all these things are easy to deal with because, again, my brain tries to push me from dealing with stuff that I think is scary because my brain tells me it's going to be this and you won't be able to handle it. But it's stepping in and saying, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to call the RS. I'm going to just schedule that appointment. Uh, you know, I, Then I'll have energy to clean my house. Well, like I talked about God's grace, where am I good enough with God, right? When, when, is, when is He going to, you know, support me in my weaknesses and my inadequacy? Well, the way that I, I live my life, I, I certainly don't think because of the stress of not, you know, organizing stuff, I was going to be hit with such a, a dramatic consequence that I was going to lose everything. I've already lost everything once in my life. But I was trying to figure out, look, I, I, I feel peace with you and me, where I am, what I'm doing. I want a tr tremendous amount of peace. But if I'm not up to date with all these things as a natural consequence to get me to get in line, there might be some catastrophic things that happen. Well, as I've gotten back to God I need to get present. I need to just put these five or six things behind me. And once they're behind me, I just need to stay up to date and just do things as they come. I started to get my peace back.
And, you know, understanding at this point in my life, my, my power comes from being in alignment with my Heavenly Father's will. And, you know, that situation had happened on Monday and then uh, on Thursday or Friday, I think, you know, I had an opportunity to revisit it and, like, sure enough, feeling excited is as strong as could be. Don't, don't revisit it. And I about started to second guess again. Oh, come on, you're not saying that. Well, I think it's fine. I remembered how severe everything was. And I don't believe God was punishing me. I believe he remembered my prayer a month and a half ago. Help me. Just get organized with this. Help me not to be so overwhelmed all the time. Help me to know what to do. I need your help. I don't know how. Well, son, let's, let's remove my presence here for a week. Let's give you an accurate idea of how this stuff is affecting you and let you deal with all the pain and uncertainty and despair comes with feeling forsaken. And then let's show you a way to bit by bit whittle away at this. I'm grateful. You know, I, I think of Job and everything Job went through. He lost everything, right? And it wasn't anything that he did. His family, his wife, his, his fortune, eventually his health, everything. He never charged God foolishly, but at the very end, right? The very end, the last chapter of Job, he says, I uttered because I understood not. Things too wonderful for me to understand because I knew not. I always say, man, I'm not going to talk as much about God, but you know, He's everything to me. And like I've said, if I neglected to share the thing which I think is by far the greatest benefit in this world, it's that you're His literal son or daughter and that Jesus Christ has suffered for you and can turn your weaknesses into strengths and makes the difference, I would be doing a disservice. I'm grateful God loves me enough to allow me to experience consequences and certainly to create a shift. And you know, for you guys that are like me that get overwhelmed with everything and don't know where to start, this process has been wonderful for me. Do the next right thing. Face your fears. It isn't as bad as you say it's going to be. I'm still alive today, amazingly, but I'm still alive. I still can provide. I still can do these things. God has supported me in my inadequacy. And I feel like this last part of, of not understanding His grace, right? I, I understand it when it comes to spiritually. I understand not stressing about things that are out of my control, but understanding that temporally He will help me in my inadequacies and help me because He doesn't just want me to do His will as far as spiritual things go and to do all this stuff too. I have a responsibility to provide, to take care of the things of this world, to, to raise two, two children and other things. And that's part of what He wants me to do. I'm grateful. 
I'm excited to start this and finally feel back in a space to do this again. You know, self-care is interesting. I, I have a little uh, thing I put on Facebook, you know, but, you know, when you ask people what are the two great commandments when it comes to Christianity, the answer is always the same, or usually, love God and love your neighbor. Well, no, it's love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the two greatest commandments on earth to love yourself. Well, when we're supposed to be sacrificing and doing everything to put time in to bless and help ourselves is not an easy thing to understand. You know, and, and uh, codependency, I talk a lot about codependency, but codependency is the chronic neglect of self in order to gain love, validation, or acceptance from another person. If you're chronically neglecting your responsibilities and you're numbing yourself by taking care of someone, you're in a relationship, in any type of relationship, you know, whether it's uh, platonic or romantic, it's not a healthy relationship. But there's a numbing aspect of that. I'm lost in all your troubles, and uh, it's chaotic, <laughs> and uh, it's up and down. But there's there's a numbing feeling to it because I'm not thinking about my troubles. Well, the problem is, in order to spend all my time thinking about your troubles, I'm not addressing my troubles, and my life's falling apart. And if you want to understand more of codependency, you can look at my episode. Uh, you're not kind, you're being codependent. But, you know, for me, even this has can become a codependent thing for me. I can, I can look for validation, acceptance through this and through the reception stuff, or I can put too much time and stress and thoughts into this and the results and compartmentalize, and then I don't do all my things. But I've learned to take care of myself, and I'm still learning to. In recovery, they say... You've got to do it for yourself. What does that mean? I hated myself. I would do it for myself. I, you know, I was, I was just going to do myself a favor and, and be done. I'm going to do it for my kids. I love them more than anything on earth. I, I understand why that didn't work. Because if I didn't do it for myself, I wouldn't be there to you know, take care of my kids. But to do it for myself, to change for myself, to do all these things I had, to love myself. And I didn't love myself because I wasn't doing things that were very love-worthy. <laughs> some of it was, some of it wasn't. But as I started to shift and started to do the things that I thought I should be doing, I came to love myself. And if I met someone that was like me, I would like them. So taking time out to take care of yourself, not distracting yourself all the time with constant stimuli, which is available in every way, shape, and form through social interactions, through social media, through video games, through pornography, through drugs, whatever. There is an escape every bit of the way. But finding that balance, because connection, human connection, it, it heals everything. Uh, God to us connection being the strongest of that, right? The connection with the divine, but who is our Father, um, it heals it. But understanding that, hey, I've got to take time out to keep my stuff good. You know, if I don't feel like I'm living up to the way I should as a person, shift it, change it, just do it. If you were disorganized like me, just make a list and get it done, right?
Don't use all these things as an excuse to escape things that have to be done. Or you get caught up in this situation of numbing yourself with all these things while things continue to fall apart. So I'm grateful to, you know, feel good enough to do this again. Um, I have a list of, you know, neat stories to bring on. And, uh, I, you know, for for me, honestly, I just pray about who should come on. I've had a lot of people want to come on. And uh, I, don't, I don't tell people what to say. You know, I just know who I feel prompted to bring on. They come on and they say what they're going to say. But there's some exciting things coming. I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk about here. My goal here is not to become a big deal. My goal is not to monetize. My goal is not to do these things. My goal is simply to share stuff that I've learned from some of the best professionals in the world with you, regardless of your belief, with regardless of your ideology, in hopes that even if you don't agree with everything I say, even if you don't agree with anything I say, even if you can find, you know, even if you hate everything I say, which there are people who do, even if you hate me, which there's people there, and that's totally fine too, don't blame me. <laughs> um, maybe you can find some parallels. Because when you've suffered in ways I have, and, and we've all suffered, but w w when I get to see my story or, or my pains or different things, save people from having to go through something similar or catch them in the midst of going through it. There's not a feeling like it. There's not a feeling like it. If you're new to my channel, if you like my content, if you feel like it can help, you know, I've been doing this for four months now. I think I've got 18 or 19 episodes, something like that. It's you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you know what it is. I also stream this to audio um, with Spotify, with Apple Podcasts, and with Amazon. Get in your life back with Cade Cooper without a G. If you want to subscribe on that YouTube channel, if you have a Google account, or if you subscribe to YouTube, you'll be notified of my future content. If this helps you, if you find value in it, if you think it can help someone, please share it. I'm back in submission now. I'm not worried about this or that or where my life's headed because I know in whom I've trusted. And he's been my strength. He's led me through the wilderness. He's filled me with his love even to the consuming of my flesh. So thanks again for checking in. I'm looking forward to a great new year and uh, I hope everyone's doing good. Thanks again.